Huge thanks to everyone who lets us do what we do. We really appreciate all of the support, be it listening, patronizing, or rating our views, telling your friends. Uh, it's been a long time, and we're incredibly lucky. So a big thank you to everybody. Field. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, the monthly Patreon show where we answer your questions and prompts, read your responses to December's games, and announce what we're doing in February. Yeah. Uh, love doing these things. This is the end of our second year doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good time. I like it a lot. Also a good time. Want to uh, put this up here at the top and thank everybody who watched and contributed to um, this year's DuckFest being amazing. Not DuckFest, yeah, DuckStream. Duck there we go. DuckStream. That's our fault Yeah, for using the same <laughs> prefix. Yeah. Um, we, sh- we should... <laughs> be more creative with our naming conventions um the uh yeah so it is i really appreciate everybody who tuned in um big success always uh you know i just always feel the Mm -hmm. luckiest i feel all year yeah you know we're able to do that it's a nice nice warm feeling and this year being social distance i feel like all of us we got more people involved just because Mm -hmm. you know we weren't uh necessarily you know, um, uh, kind of kept, kept just who could fit on a couch. So like, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to everybody who, uh, hopped in and played like among us with us. Like that mm-hmm. was a really good time. I feel super lucky that like we can get listeners on voice chat and have people be cool. Uh, yeah. not everybody can say that. <laughs> yeah. Really, really, uh, good times. Yes. So, um, we're still out from announcing like the grand total mm-hmm. of that, but we will soon. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it makes a big difference you know for, for transactive so really good stuff um it just uh, and also real quick up front if you uh, want to contribute one of these um these are all questions and prompts for our patrons mm-hmm. uh so it's people who subscribe at patreon.com slash duck tv yeah um yeah so let's uh let's get into it let me uh let me see i'll start here with greg okay uh recently started a new contract job which has me working second shift it's been a long time since i worked the shift but i recall getting home late and playing online games like wow and battlefield 2 into the wee hours of the morning there's a different group of people who play games that late and it got me wondering do you like to play certain games at certain times of the day for example horror games at night if you play any games online do you prefer uh players you find at certain hours as opposed to others yeah so i don't play um games online really so that doesn't really apply um i pretty much have fallen into um playing games for myself in the morning um playing games for work um in uh the nights and on weekends yeah it's pretty Um, much how that goes i don't have specific games i play at certain times um i don't play uh horror games at night like Mm -hmm. once my girlfriend's asleep and stuff because i can spook myself too much i like to play horror games during the day Mm mm-hmm uh personally yeah um but that's the only kind of time uh related concern yes yeah but i know what you mean especially i just i recall you know even like college times 
um having things i mean especially games that involved other people like the afternoons and early evenings were for mario kart mm -hmm. sometimes wordless mario kart just walking in and all right we know yeah, what we're gonna do <laughs> pick up a controller and shut up yep we're men playing mario kart we don't talk <laughs> um let's see here andrew writes i was just listening to your final fantasy 4 episodes and you point out several sections in the game that feel a bit jarring like they're from another game entirely what are some other examples of parts of games that feel like they're from a different game ones that work and ones that actually do uh or ones that don't work and ones that actually do yes there we go um it's difficult not to, to come up with specific examples and really easy to come up with general examples. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it's very obvious, but like anytime there's like a stealth section or a turret section yeah, in yeah. a non-stealth or turret game, mm -hmm. those are always really jarring to me. Sometimes they work, but I think that the um, the returns you get on those are really limited. Yeah. You know, um, I don't think I'm never like, yes, a turret section. Mm -hmm. I'm like sometimes like, oh, you know, this wasn't so bad. Yeah. You know, like, but it's very uh, rare that I'm like, hell yes, I can't. I'm so happy this happened. I think that it's it's weird because when they when they work best, it's when they change up the pace, either of the action mm -hmm. or of the interest. But I think that like, well, that that is dangerous. I guess it's a really high stakes way to do that uh, because if you're you know if your pace is already bad enough, throwing this in is going to be really weird. Um, mm -hmm. Additionally, like. I don't know why does Bayonetta have those space harrier sections like no Yakuza One reason. is an amazing game. I like Yakuza One quite a lot. Uh, problem is you have that no, not problem is, but like you have that really un incongruous uh, turret section on the highway when you're shooting from the back of the car uh, partway yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's this weird thing that certain developers are just kind of obsessed with. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while having these changes in play. Yeah. And it's never to really, you know, when he said that it's uh limited kind of returns, like, you know, you can change up pace with that, but it's it's very rare that the change of pace is worth it. Mm -hmm. And very, very rarely you can make a point, but usually when you're making a point, it ends up being pretty obnoxious to play. Yeah. Like I think about the um stealth levels of Hotline Miami. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate what they're doing. It's just a huge drag though. Mm -hmm. like the first time it happened i was like cool i'm disempowered this sucks <laughs> and then like if i'm replaying it i'm like fuck man <laughs> like, so disempowered this blows mm -hmm. um so yeah those, those are kind of some examples uh, yeah. of that mm -hmm. sorry i don't have anything more specific than the obvious yeah. ones like uh bayonetta and yakuza two games i'm yeah. gen you know uh, i i am fine find a good on but those sections suck so yeah yeah uh jonathan says uh, so guys, I think I might have a problem, maybe. Final Fantasy 16 is now going to be a thing, and that should mean very little to me at this point, considering that Square has proven for over a decade now that they are a terrible company with horrid creative management. But I can't help but feel hopeful, and that has me conflicted. Recently, more info came out about 16, and despite telling myself over and over that Square sucks harder than a black hole, little parts of my brain can't help but latch onto some things. They actually seem to have built a world for this game. The characters aren't dressed like clowns, or named after celestial phenomena. Uh, I don't know if I'd call this uh, this feeling hype or hope, but I can't help but wonder, am I being simply optimistic or am I just desperately clinging to any piece of driftwood from this thoroughly wrecked ship? Um, and like, there's nothing wrong with keeping an open mind, like yeah. with this kind of thing, like they are going to be new. Um, square is like fooled me enough. And the things that people are excited about for 16 are not very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the guy who did, you know, the scenario designer is the guy who everyone likes from the MMO. Right. 
Um, and it's the combat designer who had something to do with Devil May Cry. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I, you know, it's still not really what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that if if you're more open to that, if those things do sound good to you, I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping an open mind about it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's very little um, to be gained from like um, uh, being too hard on yourself or being excited about a thing that you have some reason to be excited for. You know, or or vice versa, yeah. right? Like, because the opposite of that is feeling like, oh, I should be excited. Like, I have mm-hmm. to be excited by this, and that's a really bad feeling. Yeah, yeah. it's a very common gamer feel. Like, mm-hmm. I should be excited. Um, that's a really nasty feeling. Yeah. So you don't have to feel bad about that either. Uh, but you also, if you're actually feeling the excitement, let it happen. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, and also, um, like, we know very little right now. Like, and I think that um, what we do know, like that 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 um, staffing stuff. That's pretty important right uh, like mm-hmm. something that's pretty hopeful that makes me pretty hopeful is the fact that uh what's his name what's nuts nomura is not anywhere nomura. near it yeah yeah nomura is like on a different continent <laughs> put him on a different hemisphere yeah you know um like he should be off off planet mm-hmm. during the development of video games <laughs> like have him satellite the earth yeah um yeah so i i'm excited about that but at the same time also like haven't liked a final fantasy in a long time yeah um, what, what so, i want is matsuno back that that would be the thing yeah. that would actually make me really excited but probably not gonna happen yeah. ever so yeah. oh well yeah. <laughs> it is uh, a bummer and matsuno light like the guy on the mmo who does stuff that is apparently grounded and well written like again i know this is a, a broken record thing but i'm just never gonna find out because you hit it under 90 hours of horseshit yes um you know i will not play a game that takes 50 hours to get good right uh just period because mm-hmm. on principle yeah um i think that's really bad it's really bad uh design yeah so uh let's see here so arik or eric um writes what are your opinions what are your opinions on the ps2 era mascot platformers i'm talking specifically about the about series such as ratchet and clank jack and daxter and sly cooper uh these games were a huge part of my childhood and in my opinion they are still great upon revisiting them now as far as i know ratchet and clank is the only ip from that area that keeps getting rebooted there's another ratchet and clank coming to ps5 aside from nintendo titles are there any uh any game series that become better when they are rebooted uh love all the shows and wanted to thank you for getting me into the venture brothers thank you for listening to orb yeah thank you uh we appreciate it yeah um i have no like I kind of was not playing tons of games during that period and was not playing uh, mascot platformers mm-hmm. at the time that came out. So I have only re- like I played Sly Cooper one. Um, I played Spyro. Yeah. So I played a little bit of that, but very little. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember things Sly Cooper was OK, but I quit on some level that had instant fail. Right. In a frustrating way. Um, and I've I had not played uh, Ratchet and Clank or Jack and Dexter. Yes um i have not played sly cooper it just it just missed me um i have played i think i played the one that i played the most was uh ratchet and clank up your arsenal uh that one was really good like that's super fun just a good shooter with inventive weapons and stuff um and i played like the first couple levels of jack and thought that it was or jack and daxter i guess uh, and i thought that it was uh, just okay uh, I, I was just a little bit too old, I think. Um, you know, my, like, being susceptible to mascot platformer zero was the Genesis playing, uh, you know, Sonic games, um, mm-hmm. mostly. Uh, like, even by the time, like, the N64 came around or PlayStation, like, I never really went hard for Spyro or, uh, 
you know, um, even like Banjo Kazooie, right? It was pretty much yeah. just Mario from that point forward. Yeah, yeah. It it the mas- mascot platformers are a thing from your childhood. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like a little, little too old for those guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't have a closed mind about it. Like mm-hmm. I would be willing to check them out, but it wasn't part of my uh, gamer grow up. Same. Um, Andrew says, uh, if you were to make a dream game, who would you want to have be the soundtrack for it? Personally, mine would be the Irish math rock trio, uh, Debussy Shank. Their music makes me want to make video games. Yeah. Um, gonna, gonna go with my, my ratatat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, extreme sports game or you know, cool run based game. Yeah. Hollow Miami with Ratatat. Shit, that's really good. Ratatat. Yeah, I don't know. I'll just do something weird like Brian. You know, <laughs> just get 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 him in there doing like cool ambient stuff. And I'm sure he has done like a CD ROM. Like there's no. some game with a Brian. You know, soundtrack. I almost guarantee it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know which one. Yeah, that'll be my that'll be my answer. Um, just as a composer who does not do video games generally you know, do you I, know could, um, I could say a kiriyamaoka but what's up there's that 90s uh game that like neil young and devo are involved in oh shit. how have we not done that on jack suffering yet i don't know what is it De- <laughs> oh man okay neil young devo video game what's that called uh human Bougie highway boy oh wait what no, Human Highway. Oh, that, no, the, human Highway. No, Human Highway uh, included a collaborative performance of Hey Hey, Bougie Boy. So that's the movie. What am I thinking of? This is good. Uh, I've I've already put a, I, I put a marker here for us okay. to do to to do to do some cuts. Oh, <laughs> Mother's Ball as Bougie Boy wrote a book entitled My Struggle. Yeah. Hey, Mother's Ball. You doing all <laughs> right there? <laughs> the thing I was thinking about was the Devo game uh, Adventures of the Smart Patrol. Okay, but that does not have Neil Young. I was getting those two things confused. Yeah, I was going to say like Human Highway is a movie. Yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, Bougie Boy is a real weird little goblin. <laughs> uh, just, you've ever seen Bougie Boy? Just a it's just a character. Yeah. Huh. Oh, Boogie yeah. Boy. But it, but it's I always say Bougie, Bougie Boy as well. Yeah, yeah. I always say Bougie Boy as well. But yeah, he's he's a real creep who shows up a lot in their videos. He's the, he's the so, son of. General I'm actually leaving boy. all this in. I, okay. it's, it's dispatch and it's the holidays. <laughs> Everybody gets to hear the digressions. Okay. <laughs> Weird. You know, it's like two days before Christmas. I'm. You guys right. can hear the digression. Yeah. <laughs> um, hear us Google things. This is this is the stuff that we don't want you to hear. Hmm. Um. What does the next person have to? Okay, cool. uh, KL asks uh, or says, I managed uh, to land a copy of the Demon Souls remake. I never actually played the original Pass 1 2, so it's been really wild going back to a time before three phase bosses. It's very weird going into a Souls game without total knowledge, though. For games in general, and Souls like Souls likes in particular, uh, do you feel like the platonic playthrough experience? Um, do you feel like the platonic playthrough experience as your first run when everything is terrifying and new or, um, an experienced run when you fully internalize the game's systems and layout? Yeah. Which one do you think is your, your platonic or canonical run? Yeah. The first one or later when you know the stuff? Um, I don't really differentiate them. Uh, they're They kind of conglomerate in my head. Yeah. The thing that I'm there for is the process of understanding the spaces and that, that necessarily entails both of them 
right you know that that, that yeah. feeling of the uh of knowledge condensing the space and uh something yeah. that i have learned going back through old souls games after a bit of a break from playing them for a while and especially after doing them for um uh or doing the doing the mods is that there's just a bunch of stuff that i don't remember um even things that were there that i just never noticed uh there's always stuff to learn so i think that yeah mm -hmm. it's it's generally just a process and then it's that yeah. process that i'm there for not necessarily um either fresh or stale plays yeah i really like to have a fresh play initially mm -hmm. but then yeah. afterwards i immediately supplement it with all of the googling i can do yes um, like once I've seen credits, the, the floodgate is open and I will spoil anything mm -hmm. on myself. And the moment where like that dam is lifted and those two bodies of water rush into each other is like my favorite part. Yes. Uh, that's very fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, Brian asks, uh, hi there. I'm curious about your take on the Dragon Quest series. As I'm playing 11 again, I enjoy hearing what you have to say about it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some Dragon Quests I like quite a bit. Uh, yeah. There are ones I like that I probably won't revisit, mm -hmm. I don't think. Um, and there are other ones I'm, like, less interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the, one the that you, like, they really, really enjoy? Uh, I like five. Mm -hmm. Five is good. Um, I liked uh, eight when I played it, but I don't think I'll play it again. Like, at the time, it was very refreshing to have just a back-to-basics. Yeah, yeah. Pretty JRPG. Mm -hmm. But even even when I played it at the time, I was like, this is a million years too long. Yeah. Um, and that's always the thing that's going to stop me from like revisiting, uh, these or like doing some of the new ones, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm kind of curious about 11, but it just seems real long. Yeah. You know, and real, like a real straight putt. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel like my, my appetite for those kind of things, like I'll probably replay a game. Yeah. You know, I'll satisfy some nostalgia when I am in the mood for like, you know, I could play final fantasy nine again yes. or six again, yeah. um, as opposed to starting a brand new one. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if you're you're looking at Dragon Quest, you know, comparatively to other series, it's one that, like, I've got a lot of appreciation for, I think, just intellectually. But the problem is a lot of them do end up being really straight putts. I think the one that I have played the most, just because, like, it came out when I was playing JRPGs and it was available, uh, was Dragon Warrior 7, Dragon Quest 7, I guess. I hate uh, Dragon Quest 7 so much. You know, like, I, like, like, it, 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 like it, it, it was there specifically when I, like, had the, the particular kind of patience for the slow way that that game unfolds. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, like, it's pretty, you know, generally the series is pretty static for me, actually. And that is something that keeps me from being, like, super interested, even the, even in the stuff, like, where it gets weird later on. Like, I don't know, Dragon Quest 9 and 10, that's that's weird. <laughs> it's weird in a direction i'm like not interested in yeah it's like multiplayer weird mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't want to play video games with other people no especially not a jrpg yeah yeah that's like, yeah that's incredibly weird and mm -hmm. it sounds like it has a pawn system similar to dragon's dogma which i always mm. thought was like a little less interesting than other people did in terms yeah. of mechanically like it's not that satisfying for people to take my little pokemon on adventures without me no no you know what is a dragon age inquisition like i don't want to <laughs> have it, things i don't do mm -hmm. like I can, I can play the games i'm not playing without turning on the system <laughs> you know um but yeah it's it's a those ones are weird it's a weird it's a weird series that is so proud of being you know traditional 
yeah. in a way that I don't respect. And then I ended up coming, you know, I used to always position it against Final Fantasy in that respect and be like, oh, I prefer Final Fantasy because they experiment more with systems and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then eventually Final Fantasy lost me and became this Nomura thing. So now I'm just kind of like, let the whole thing live in the past. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like the sci-fi action games that Final Fantasy has become. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the very, very traditional 80 hour JRPGs that Dragon Quest is. Like yeah. I don't really have interest in either one. Mm-hmm. So agreed. Give me a third thing. Yeah. Third things Please. are good. Um, I could see us doing Dragon Quest five at some point for the show. That would be where I want to pull from. Like the SNES ones were like, they did get adventurous before they decided to snap back um, into yeah. being a little bit more traditional. I think that would be the good way to do it, especially for and when they were reasonable you, length Yeah, like before yeah. seven with the like 10 or 12 hours before you get into a fight. Right. Right. Kind of stuff that happens in seven. Like, yeah. It's a little like it's a little bit more adventurous and it's a little bit snappier paced. Mm-hmm. Also, well, like, still cool, being like, like a cool very stuff. slow paced game. Five is the one where you're playing through like different generations. Like you play as the father yeah. and then the son. Yeah, and then the four is yeah. the one with uh, with the multiple perspectives, right? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, including when you play as a, a shopkeep. But apparently, like the remake might fix that or anything. But they just covered the NES version of that on Crontendo, hmm. and it was a, it sounded a lot more tedious than I remembered it being. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, shout out to Crontendo. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Matt Bixler, hello. Um, right. Hello. <laughs> uh, I remember in some podcasts, one of you mentioned not having much enthusiasm for The Legend of Zelda Age of Calamity, uh, since Musou or Dynasty Warriors gameplay necessitates wildly different themes than Breath of the Wild had. Are there any settings, worlds, or IPs you think have handled this sort of genre shift well? Uh, what do you think helps or hinders this transition? So going from the exploration-based um, kind of open world of um, Breath of the Wild to a completely different genre, like uh, like a Dynasty Warriors with Age of Calamity. Yeah, I think um, Matt means uh, a genre shift in general, not yes. just that specific genre shift. Yes. I mean, the success, the most successful ones are the ones that we kind of take for granted, like turning Castlevania into an exploration-based kind of thing sure uh you know like that's a pretty basic answer but also one that's really fucking important (laughs) yeah um i love uh metal gear acid oh yeah yeah which uh just takes the the background semiotics of metal gear and turns it into a strategy card game yeah um i really really like that genre shift um pokemon snap obviously uh is is really great pokemon has actually done really well Mm -hmm. in that uh that arena um i like chocobo mystery dungeon oh yeah quite a bit um that's not really those are spin-offs you know spin-offs it's not exactly like a genre shift but it's well, I mean, calamity is a spin-off too it just happens to have a little bit of story continuity you know yeah 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 what a weird move yeah very strange to like take a take a world that i'm interested in seeing the past of and then putting it behind a kind of gameplay that like thousands even, of dudes yeah that even like yeah. uh you know they couldn't berserk couldn't make me want to play that game for more yeah, than five hours horses couldn't make me yeah <laughs> like, yeah it, th- those games are amongst the roughest yes for me, yeah uh, to get into i tried to get into um the zelda one mm-hmm. that came out before and it's like, just, man, like no amount of, it's, you know, characters and music I like will do it. It's, I mean, just man, anything so related, to, anything related to Muso, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like whenever a new monster hunter comes out, everybody who likes them yeah. says, this one's for you guys. I'm like, sorry, man. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I keep trying. Uh-huh. I promise I keep trying. 
Yeah. Um, oh, the boy. shift to Final Fantasy Tactics as well. Again, a spinoff, but using oh, yeah. that, that but iconography the, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, you, we talk about that a lot in the episode, like the idea of a libretto. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, having, uh, you know, those semiotics, like when we did Chocobo's Mystery or Chocobo Dungeon, mm-hmm. um, you know, the idea that I know the difference between a Fyra and a Fyragra. Yeah. Uh, right away mm-hmm. does a lot of work yeah there are like uh there are surprising ones too like the things that i love about resident evil don't make me think that i would enjoy the uh the umbrella chronicles games as much as i do but they're actually really good mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just taking those situations and making it more shooty like yeah oh yeah that, that that totally works actually yeah yeah, yeah. um i want to play the uh resident evil cell phone tactics game at some point Burr? Like I get, yeah, there's a cell phone. It's, it's old. Like it's like on Japanese cell phones. You can't, I'm sure you can emulate oh, okay. it, but it's not yeah. like you can just get it. Mm-hmm. But, um, there's a, there's a resident evil tactics game. Mm. I always thought that was an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, speaking of resident evil, mm-hmm. Joseph asks, where in the resident evil series do you think is a good stopping point story wise? I think that the story would have been fine if it ended after RE3 or code Veronica and have RE4 be its own self-contained story and have the Plagas virus be destroyed along with the Island. I feel like the story has just gone over the deep end and that would have been fine uh, if it had ended after code Veronica, even though I do enjoy the games in the series after four. Thank you guys for putting out quality content and congrats on episode 300. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah. Um, that's tough like mm-hmm. i don't know four's story doesn't necessarily feel like it needs to be connected to anything else Mm-mm. no but i i still so it's like the, those little connections are fun mm-hmm. for me but I, I don't think joseph's wrong like yeah. i do feel like code veronica kind of ends an arc it does yeah you know uh but if they just started it as like you know extreme virus mode or you know parasite land mm-hmm village town <laughs> everybody's favorite um, parasite lands <laughs> village town if they named it something different than that that would also kind of bum me out yeah, yeah you know because resident evil you know it kind of feels like D to me where it's like i'm going there for a vibe yeah and that vibe is like incredibly stupid mm-hmm. um and then there's also that semiotic value of like knowing what herbs are and knowing what you know headshots do generally yeah things like that the, the, there are worse times to stop caring about the uh, about the story than after Code Veronica. I think five gambles on taking taking it back into the uh, back into the lore heavy, you know, like mm-hmm. finishing out the Umbrella story, uh, you know, by going into the past or whatever. But like uh, that feels, you know, it's a gamble that will only pay off if you're, you know, a true head, um, you know, who is wildly into hearing about the progenitor virus. Like I could, I couldn't, I can't make a case for Resident Evil Five being successful in that way. No, no, no. And it's like you, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, "Okay." Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to speak for you specifically, but for me, that's kind of where I am with the modern lore. Yeah. Like I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, let's do it. Like I'm, I'm invested, but I recognize that it's changed into a different thing, and yeah. Like I'm just deciding to be interested. Mm-hmm. But story wise, I think Code Veronica is a good answer. Yeah. It's going to be real. We're at a very fraught time because we're going to find out what they're going to do with eight because seven is very much like another four where it's its Mm -hmm. own thing that, you know, has a tangential relation at the end by bringing by by bringing Redfield in. Um, Part of my worry is that they're going to try and uh, make it a little bit try try to leaden um, the series again with more connections to the past by heading over to Europe um and doing specifically stuff like we see an umbrella logo in some of the puzzles like in the trailer and stuff 
So like, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, yeah, give me that fan service, show it to me. I will be a little piggy for it. But another part of me was like, oh, is this actually is this going to cause problems? Actually, like, is this going to be good for the product? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like after seven, it's very foolish of them to to kind of go back and try to tie it more into lore. Yeah, like that was so successful with seven. Mm-hmm. It felt like really fresh. Um, and the connections were kind of tantalizing, yeah. you know, there, but weren't like explicit and just like having Redfield. Like I am skeptical, but yes. of course, like, I don't know, Capcom is good now. They make good games. So uh-huh. like, you know, I, I mean, I'll play it. It's going to be, it's going to be a good game. I'm just, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be optimal. Is right. it going to be an RE2 remake or an RE3 remake? Mm-hmm. You know, don't both know. of which are acceptable to me. Yes. Um, and I would be happy with them doing the off and on remake and new game every other year uh for oh, yeah. the indefinite future give it to me until i die yep um i uh, do you want to give us one more game question then we'll move on yeah yeah we have to we had a lot of people um people are really participating in this is fun uh D- daniel daniel b writes hi fellas uh sorry this has been asked before but what's your favorite game to play that you wouldn't recommend to anyone else whether it's too janky obtuse or some other kind of objectively busted what's the one game that you can't help but love playing despite most people rightfully disliking them um, basically like I always feel this way whenever I, uh, try to get people to play old PC games, Yeah. um, which I always feel like it's because they're weak, uh, that they don't want to play with a mouse, but yeah. that's, okay. uh, that's okay. me being, being biased. Yeah. So no, just, uh, just, uh, uh, character judgment that you're making because of a thing that oh, yeah. they like, or mostly like. on their family, like right. mostly on their breeding and like, yeah, yeah, no, they can't yeah, help. It's not it. really on them. It's so much on their parents and the fact yeah. that they were cousins and got married anyway. So, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they should have known better. <laughs> they yeah. should have known better. No. <laughs> uh, I like visual novels, you know, or, you know, the kind of the more gameplay heavy ones that you get here. Like, I still really enjoy the, you know, the Zero Escape series, even 999. Um, Virtue's Last Reward is good. Um, oh, gosh, what is Zero Time Dilemma is really good. Uh, but, like, I don't know. It's tough to, like, recommend them to somebody who likes playing video games because it's kind of saying, oh, you like games, huh? Uh, do you also yeah. like reading digital <laughs> comics? Because, like, <laughs> Steins Gate is a really good digital comic um but mm-hmm. like you know it's just a di- it's categorically a different thing no matter how many like room escape puzzles are thrown in right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a little sliding scale of as to how much gaminess is going to be yeah in there but it's still going to be you know like no matter how much gaminess is put in there there's still going to be a lot of like reading and not playing which makes it just yeah. tough makes it tough well and then there's the entire haunt factor right like I know from talking to Will as a big like visual novel fan, how mm-hmm. he like has a hard time recommending because it's like, why don't you put on some clothes, ladies? Yeah. Like I'm not, I don't like the idea that I just need to have my brain a little bit engaged by looking at a tit mm-hmm. while solving this time travel mystery <laughs> is very weird. I'm looking at you, Aegis Rim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put them away. <laughs> uh, moving on to some media questions here. Uh, Zero Dark Thotty uh, says, Hey guys, recently listening through File Underwater for the first time and loving it, even though as a pretty casual REM fan, I know projects like this are more on the niche side, as mentioned on the episodes of the show itself. Apologies if this has been answered before, but if you two were to hypothetically create another band or musician deep dive podcast, who would you pick? P.S. Ignore Land isn't that bad. That is a bold stance. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, I disagree with you about Ignoreland being bad. It's actually very bad. 
Um, yes, but we can we we can set that aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, is it? You know, it's 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 more. You know, it's set up Monty to get a raw deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that's and then not just great. didn't pay the pay the price. Yeah. Um, we talked about this uh, before, but I don't mind answering again because it's quick. Mm-hmm. Um, the musician I would like to do this with, uh, not necessarily Cole, not because I don't like talking about music with you, but because you don't have as deep a catalog. Yeah. Uh, is David Bowie? Yes. Um, I'd love to do a Bowie album by album podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a this is a tough one because like there are more kind of more modern bands that are still working that it would that it, I would have a lot of fun going and doing like a like like, like a dive into like uh, Ockerville River and Shearwater, but like I don't know, it's weird because those bands are still making music and REM isn't. So I would want to go back a little bit further, and it's just tough to like find a band with as much of a history that also is like as different um mm-hmm. across that history as rem is um i just kind of feel like they're kind of in the sweet spot for the approach that we took so yeah well and you want one that doesn't just like take a shit and stay shitting yes you know like rem had like a, a shitty period mm-hmm. the boy podcast would have a shitty period yeah but it's not like things just stayed horrible no you get to end on black star <laughs> like yeah we feel really good you know we got to end on claps into now mm-hmm. on that it's not like just you know doing like a you know trying to think like like the kinks yeah you know where it's like just this like come dancing hole <laughs> that you just fall down into of like 80s schlock music mm-hmm. you know so yeah so that'd be a yeah. tough one i think that our rem ended up being the uh being the way to go mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh let's see here greg writes another media question here what's a movie that you've seen uh since you were an adult so nothing from your childhood that you might be nostalgic for that you really like and enjoy despite a lot of people not liking them and uh that you will still watch it again again and again despite recognizing the problems that the movie has uh for me my go-to examples are passengers with jennifer lawrence and sucker punch with emily browning uh there's just something about those two movies that appeals to me despite their reputation Sucker Punch is a rough one, man. Yeah. I, I saw that in theaters. Ooh. Um, the, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly why. Um, it was before the Schneider Backlash, so the very least. Was that but, like the next thing that he made after uh, after 300, 300? Or did he, did he throw a Watchman in there in between? I think he threw a Watchman in there in between, but I could okay. be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, a little bit tough because most of the things uh as an adult like don't have like a you know a sucker punch esque reputation yeah. that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um but I have a lot of weakness for like like I like um the the Thomas Jane Punisher movie. Oh yeah. Um I like that. I liked uh back in the day, I don't think I would like it now. Like some of this stuff is since I've been an adult, but I haven't tested it. Yeah. In like 10 years, but in the, like my late 20s, I was a pretty big defender of LXG, what? the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember liking that and being like, no, that's actually pretty good. Uh-huh. Like I had it on DVD, uh, convinced my friends to watch it and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just haven't tried it, you know, in in this century. Yeah. Like really. Yeah. Huh. So. Um. Yeah. Man, I, I I I've not seen that movie recently enough to know anything more than its reputation off the top of my head. So I can't I can't bounce off you on that one. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, you know it's probably not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for me, kind of my answer for this would be uh, would be Synecdoche, New York. Even though that is a well regarded movie, it is definitely up its own ass in a particular way. 
um and also like as a directorial debut from a uh from somebody who primarily is a writer uh it doesn't necessarily stick a lot of the landings that it goes for uh it's unwieldy uh it is arcane um and it ends in a very strange way uh and is incredibly bleak but i still um you know feel spoken to by that movie um Otherwise, like stuff that gets a bad rap, this is, you know, maybe a little bit too, too long ago. Like you can tell me if this is, uh, if, if this counts as childhood, but like, you know, I, when I was like in late high school, that was around the time that saw and like hostile, like those torture porn movies mm. kind of came out. Like not all of those are really good, but like saw two and hostile two, like I think really stand up, um, mm. really strongly actually. Um, you know, so like I will, uh, I, I will stand by those, but I don't know if that counts as like kid nostalgia, given that that's those came out when I was like seventeen. Line. So yeah, uh, one of those for me that's like a when I was a teen thing that I still like is Christmas Vacation. Oh yeah, Christmas Vacation. That's like not a good movie, but also yeah, fuck it, I'll I watch it, it every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I will watch that anytime it comes on. Yeah, uh, no. basically, you like, know. Okay, I, I'm bummed out that I'm like not spending a lot of time around my family because we usually like we watch that literally every year. Fix the new yep. up, fix the new post, you know, <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to watch it in Christmas this year. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Love it. Um, what else here? Uh, the, uh, Cinder Elf asks, uh, <laughs> says, uh, congrats on 300 episodes. Thank you. No, it's not the first duck feed show to pass that milestone, but it's really impressive. Most of us will never make 300 of anything non-biological. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Uh, Cinder Elf of the wood with the thousand young. Um, uh, continues uh, i'm really enjoying orb i left a five-star review on norwegian itunes just letting mm -hmm. you know in case uh, you don't have a system for checking reviews from different countries um i'm not exactly sure how that works but i really do appreciate it mm -hmm. um right anybody and then uh finally there's one thing i haven't already mentioned uh, about the venture brothers that i can't help but notice whenever it comes up on the show do you think osi sounds a lot like the usa when you say it out loud uh do you think the creators are trying uh, to explicitly link the actions of agencies like the cia to the country as a whole so um, i think the OSS osi is, is gi joe yeah and i also think that yeah. osi is specifically meant to be a takeoff on the oss which was the precursor to the csa or to, yes. to, to, to the uh, cia rather but with gi joe overtones yes like if you you know once it becomes uh not just a thing on brock's badge and has the title screen and stuff it's even the theme song is explicitly gi joe mm -hmm. i don't know how much penetration gi joe had in other countries yeah um it was a cartoon about like our soldiers but instead of like being regular soldiers like mm -hmm. they're like you know my name's football mm -hmm. you know and, and he threw a football yeah yeah uh, my name's deep you know, six kind of i'm a thing. scuba man i'm used exactly. very infrequently yeah yeah incredibly infrequently <laughs> um and you know they just shot over each other's heads that's yes. how they play yeah um the uh big shout out to super ego with a recurring uh gi joe recruitment <laughs> uh sketch where people improvise nice gi joe's based on the name those are very fun <laughs> um yeah so i think that but uh i do think there's a little cia uh tie to that yeah yeah definitely the you know especially when you see them uh you know what what, what the actual organization uh ends mm -hmm. up uh ends up being later on yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh let's see here uh moving on to a show question uh, the big pal will writes. Hey, big pal will. <laughs> uh, hey peeps, 
Huge fan from Australia here. I've been listening to your show for about 12 months now. I started listening on a trip to Japan. I needed something to listen to on the plane, and you guys randomly popped up as a suggestion. Fell in love instantly. Uh, this Thank show you. has definitely been a rock during a tough year that was fraught with respiratory infection and exams. Uh, thank you very much. Um, they continue. I love the analysis and breakdown you do of, uh, of games and other various forms of media. It's definitely made me consider why I don't like something or why I think something is bad. Uh, how do you go about analyzing something like a movie or a game? Any tips or tricks? You've inspired some thought. I'd love some insight. Boy. This is hard. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, like, it's very experiential. Yes. So we talked about that a lot. Like I, I, when I look at a work, I pay a lot of attention to how I'm feeling during it. Mm -hmm. um, it's very important to me the uh, the initial reaction I'm having to something. Yeah. Um, you know, I will I will follow that. Um, it's not the only thing. Like that can be tempered. Like I can think about something later and be like, no, 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 this is recontextualized or on reflection, I feel about this differently. Yeah. But I do pay a lot of attention to kind of like just what's happening in my body. Yeah. You know, like how interested am I? in this like do i want to keep doing this or is this something i'm forcing myself to do mm -hmm. um and then i try to think like if i want to keep doing it if i am still like compelled what is compelling me like what are the questions i want to have answered like what questions were asked by this that i think are mm -hmm. fascinating yeah uh what do i want to do more of specifically um yeah you know we're talking about games you know mechanically like the first impression of a mechanic is really important, but also how does this, how does this evolve? Um, you know, what is drawing me forward? What promise is hinted at based on, based on your first uh, kind of glance at it? Yeah. Um, uh, and then if, if, if something, um, you know, doesn't work for me, something I think about a lot is what, you know, a lot of times it will just occur to me like something I would have liked more. Mm -hmm. And I always feel a little self-conscious doing any kind of Monday morning quarterbacking, but that is kind of part of what we do yeah. um, here. And just thinking like, God, this would have worked really well. And <clears throat> it's not that I think that the developers were dum-dums and didn't, it didn't occur to them. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm not really concerned if it occurred to them. Right. Like it just like this, this would have been on um, this individual thing would have improved this if it's unfeasible because of cost or because of other factors or because like it wouldn't work with the multiplayer or something. I feel like that's not my problem. Yeah. That's an explanation, uh, not an excuse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I don't care about that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to think of what would have been uh, better. Yeah, things. I think like the, the, the instinct to Monday morning quarterback kind of comes from um, you hate complaining without suggesting a better alternative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I never want to just be like, you know, this is diarrhea doo doo. Yeah. This is this is I'm going to drink this like a roadkill skunk and down it with beer. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. No. You know? Mm hmm. Um. Yeah, that's yeah. a basic, you know, a lot of it comes instinctually, though, because we've been doing it for a long time. That's the thing, right? By talking to each other, you know, both of us kind of know what we can rely on each other to notice and not notice. Um, mm -hmm. We have developed kind of a vocabulary, which, you know, that is something that if you find the vocabulary that we have developed, developed useful, then I'm really happy to hear that, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, which is good. And also just like having played an awful lot. Um, or, you know, even talked about an awful lot, being able to draw instant comparisons to put like a particular decision, um, in a movie or, uh, in a game into context with like how it was done elsewhere. That ends up being yes. pretty valuable too. doing just, you know, comparative analysis kind of stuff, which is a really douchey way to say just like, you know, oh yeah, I, I just, I, I have become way too obsessed with this. 
yeah, yeah just comparing two things yep <laughs> yeah um yeah that, that's uh kind of just like the back of the napkin yeah uh jonathan asks a show question and um, this has probably been asked before but do you have any other games or shows you like to do a deep dive for deep dive for it's been fun vicariously exploring the venture brothers through orb and bonfires i chat is a stalwart show mm. uh lighthearted follow-up how can we get more tabletop discussion from you guys such as our role-playing games magic the gathering board games etc uh create more time in the day and end the pandemic yeah that would be a good one <laughs> so people so, can get together and play them yeah yeah um i love board games i like magic the gathering i like all that stuff it's just a huge time investment yeah um so it's just hard to do it on top of everything else mm -hmm. as um, far as other deep dives that we've kind of looked at uh for a while we had mm -hmm. the idea to do a final fantasy deep dive i think before we realized or remembered that we don't really like playing those games as much as we remembered yes you know it's kind of a sometimes thing yeah we also talked about resident evil but we're kind of doing that just by hitting them all on the show yeah we're pretty close to um, i mean six is it for the mainline games right yeah 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 and then after that it's just all gun survivor survivor well revelations Outbreak, file two yeah. Yeah. Um, just uh, kind of moving through through the side stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But those are ones. And then TV shows, um, we've had long had in mind doing a Breaking Bad show. Mm -hmm. uh, other people have done that. Yes. You know, but it's just also like, boy. It, I, I, I like that, that show. Be, it's fun to talk I like about. that show a lot. And yeah. like, I don't know, that wasn't a really bonding thing for us, actually. Yep. Was talking about, uh, talking about Breaking Bad on the show. Yep. Yeah. Very distinct memories of... Um, being in PAX, uh, at PAX before I stopped going to that and like mm -hmm. tuning into it at a hotel. No. Um, when I think season four or season five was running, mm -hmm. uh, just because I wanted to not get spoiled. Yes. So I could, you know, so, cause you and I would talk about it when we'd start recording on Monday, mm -hmm. um, really habitually. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like a water cooler, mm -hmm. uh, thing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, um, we had talked about doing a King of the Hill deep dive. Uh, mm -hmm. That was what Orb was going to be, but we decided to stay out of that lane because uh, mm -hmm. uh, because of what cartoon? Uh, talking Simpsons, uh, Bob yeah, Mackie's. They do talking. Yeah, they do they talk do to talking King, of the, King of the Hill. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we decided to do something they were not doing. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the things that we we've talked about doing. Um, we like the format. Yeah. So you know, more of that on a long enough timeline is definitely uh, possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, moving on to lightning round stuff. Let's do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean Lucero says, hi, what is something you're looking forward to this coming year of 2021? Um, in life, getting the vaccine and games, Gloomwood. Uh, I would also like to get the vaccine. I want to have band practice again and game night again in person. Mm -hmm. uh, very desperately. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Stuart writes, how do you feel about, uh, how do you feel about the year end best games, worst games, et cetera list? Uh, do you enjoy engaging in these conversations either online or off? Um, I will, I'll always read these things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not immune to a list. Yeah. I'm not made of stone. Um, I did not play most of the stuff that ended up on this year's list. Yeah. Like almost any of it. Mm -hmm. um you know the best year i the best game i played that came out this year was the tony hawk <laughs> remake yeah like no, no joke i understand uh yeah. definitely the best thing i played that came out in 2020 mm -hmm. the best thing i played at all was disco elysium yeah. you know like I, I i played some incredible games they were just older yeah you know no and um, uh, this is a big maintenance year for me 
same <laughs> I mean, yeah. just uh every uh everything is off uh throw up your hands yeah yeah um you know i'm i'm fine with these with those lists i also look at them i think um polygons end of the year list is good because they have 50 on them and that necessarily um will surface things like indie games that i just completely missed the conversation on because i'm mm-hmm. not following those people who are talking about it on twitter so it almost always serves as like a good like keep an eye out for this uh kind of list i liked the thing that people were doing a while ago which is like what's the best game that i played that was made this year what is the game that i played that wasn't best game i played that wasn't made this year and like what am i looking forward to most just like that mm-hmm. short little like tweet burst it was been like that that has mostly been useful that's the mm-hmm. most i en- enjoy those conversations though i think ranking things yeah. is really weird i think that that is uh you know differentiating what is number one and number and number two that feels arbitrary to me yeah yeah. there's also a weird thing with worst of lists because like what does worst of mean now yeah. you know people are gonna do worst of list and a lot of people are gonna put cyberpunk on that for churlish reasons yeah but like you know there's a billion just steam yeah you know asset asset flip shooters mm-hmm. that were not you know that were just made as cash grabs or sold for 90 cents yeah uh you know that came out as well that are way worse mm-hmm. um so disappointing i think is always a better yeah um adjective for that mm-hmm worst um but i haven't read a lot of worst of stuff yet this year possibly because i've been avoiding it because again i haven't been very engaged with the conversation this year yeah it hasn't been that kind of year for me yeah uh and that is okay mm-hmm. um colin strong writes uh i have heard you guys talk about townsends and sons on youtube uh and i have to agree that the content is great but do you guys ever worry that he is in the pocket of big nutbag i i am happy that he's in the i don't worry about it yeah it's a comfortable pocket i share it with him <laughs> i worry so, i worry that he will uh eat too much of it and then go into one of those hallucination uh mm. kind of fits from uh like just i think everybody in high school like knew somebody who learned that you could get high by eating a bunch of nutmeg and then they did oh, it yeah. and found out how sick you get when you do that or like smoke a banana peel <laughs> that kind of stuff <laughs> like yeah. kids are always trying to come up with ways to poison themselves high yeah poison myself high like it's basically kid kid moves yeah it's very funny (laughs) um kevin asks uh maybe it's not fair to ask this question right as cd project red is putting the torch to years of goodwill but it's been five years i was wondering now that the dust has settled what's your game of the year rpg of the year for 2015 bloodborne or witcher 3 including the dlc um that's tough. That's I really tough. Revisited, <laughs> that's really tough. I revisited Bloodborne. It's really, really good. I think the ending of that game is significantly worse than the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think uh, outside of the DLC, you know, but like the, the fulcrum on which that game gets to the halfway point, there is a demonstrable less fun mm-hmm. uh, feeling to it as uh, the challenge wraps up to a certain point. Yeah. Um, you know, and the encounter design gets a little worse and such. Um, I would probably give that to Witcher 3. Yeah, DLCs so. are so good, and that, that game gets better as it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't get doesn't get worse as it goes. It sticks the landing; it's more consistent. Yeah. It's really um, sweet. I love Bloodborne. Yeah. yeah, it has a really sweet heart. Yeah, um, like I love Bloodborne, but there's just so many things about it that are obnoxious to me. Like mm-hmm. when I replayed it, it was such a pain to try to play it and not have it feel like all of my other playthroughs. Like I was doing all these glitches to access the DLC early and shit. Yeah, you know, just because it's like I just don't want to have the same playthrough again. Why mm-hmm. did you make those choices? Yeah you know 
Agreed. Um, I think that the highs are higher in Bloodborne, but Witcher 3 is um, uh, kind of just substantially better the whole way through. It's very consistent, I think. Yeah. Like, it's very rare that there are just, like, straight-up bad things mm-hmm. in that game. It's like, just the like, worst thing about it is travel traversal. Yep, traversal, you know? like, crafting, but you don't really have to engage with that, really. Yeah, you can ignore a lot of that. Yeah. But in terms of, like, individual moments or bits of writing or quest design or encounter mm-hmm. design, it's very rare that I'm like, this is fucking bad. Yeah. You know? And, like, that, I can't say that about, like, you know, Unseen City Yarhagul. Yeah, Nightmare you know, Frontier. Like, where it's, yeah nightmare frontier like these are bad areas this is not fun mm-hmm. to move through yeah. you know so like really beautiful looking really mm-hmm. evocative super cool cool lore cool bosses but just like shitty hateful encounter design that just felt annoying to me yeah um, uh the witcher 3 doesn't have winter lanterns no winter lanterns yeah it's true and if they did they'd be based on like slavic myth mm-hmm. you know so yeah so, yeah. you know, understanding all the problems with CGCD Project Red, it's still, you know, the way you look at what's on the page or on the disc, Witcher 3 um, yeah. stands. Witcher 3 stands. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Sam White asks, hey, guys, um, as gamers, I'm sure we've all gotten gifts from non-gamer loved ones trying their best. Uh, do you have any funny stories about somebody getting you a gamer gift that misses the mark? Uh ex-girlfriend who got me with the absolute assurance that i would love it a copy of ready player one Uh oh yep this is totally for you you love all this shit right did you um know that did you know that that book was bad by reputation or was it like you got it and then opened it up and like no no this is what i this is what this person thinks of me uh the second the latter i had not i not did not know about it yeah so, um, and then I, I read the first couple chapters and then I, we broke up mm-hmm. and I, I quit reading it and then it was assigned to me to read for a college oh, course, uh-oh. as I've mentioned before. Yeah. Um, Ooh. so I paid to read that book. <laughs> uh, yeah, you paid so. dearly. Yeah. Yep. Oof. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my parents have gotten me some pretty misguided gifts about that i think the my 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 favorite one that i still have around it's just a it's just a sign that my mom got me that said like you know it's to put up on your door like don't come in gaming happening or something Mm -hmm. like that (laughs) yeah andrew who plays guitar in uh our band uh got me something like that as well i have a metal sign that's like caution extreme gaming (laughs) uh just as an as an irony gift okay cool i just uh, he wasn't expecting you to put it up that's good no 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 (laughs) just like gary like this he likes games yeah um Um, and and one thing that i actually do like my dad got me a little lcd uh tetris game it's like a really bad tetris game because it's lcd or whatever but like in terms of something that you can just sit on your coffee table and play like a little tetris Mm -hmm. game is could actually not the worst thing you can get so no that's that's pretty cool yeah that's nice mm-hmm. yeah. uh question queers asks uh with all the chat of fantasy settings and what is considered the default style now i was curious if either of you fans of the story or either of you are fans of the stories that influenced dungeons and dragons which codified for better or worse what generic fantasy is I mean, so i imagine that's like lord, lord of the, of the rings, rings perfect and the gray mauser yeah um uh, you know, that kind of alric yeah yes yeah um sorta yeah uh, <laughs> like I, I don't know when i was in high school it was cool to read lord of the rings and the hobbit because there were swords and shit in it but like when i tried to read them as an adult i don't like them very much i think they're boring yeah kind of the same 
Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's weird. I think that I've like come around to kind of more, you know, kind of just more enjoying the media that D and D has influenced more than the uh, the 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 stories that influence D and D. Like I, I can mm-hmm. understand how you know important they are, but yeah, like sitting down and reading the Fellowship of the Rings is a really tough putt. Yeah, like what um, what century is this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so the answer is kind of like not really. Yes. Uh, w- w- once, but not now. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Madey asks, assuming a world in which ghosts exist, do you allow a spirit to coexist in your home? It's a good I mean, question. It depends on what they do, right? Are what do they I malevolent? have to say about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's, what's allow mean in the sentence? I think there's, I mean, there are people you can call. Oh, who, who am I going to call? Um, <laughs> I mean, some guy who has like a weird box that he insists will, uh, spot orbs. Yeah. Going on next door. Hey guys, ghosts have set up a camp. This neighborhood used to be nice. <laughs> ghosts have I wish set the city would do camp. something about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, um, God. I just feel like for Christmas, they shouldn't do that. Yeah. Legitimately saw that. <laughs> what? Yeah. For, for, like, for, and, Chris, like somebody, for somebody Christmas, they shouldn't. Or somebody invoked like the holidays. Uh, to complain about a homeless camp. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, dicks. It's real bad. Yeah, <laughs> like it's really horrible. It, was it worth selling that futon? To make that account. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can you can not sign up. All it's doing is making yeah. you making you paranoid about package thieves, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I know. And if I window naked, I just don't want to end up on worst of or best of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, um, if it was it was a non benevolent spirit and it couldn't interface with me, mm-hmm. sure. If it, if it couldn't interface with me at all, yes. Yeah. If it could interface with me and it was malevolent, no. If it could interface with me and was benevolent, also no. I think. Yeah. I don't want a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, That's yeah. the thing. I don't. I don't want a roommate who uh, cannot be kept away from me with a closed door. Yeah. Uh, something there. Yeah. Uh, I, think I don't that, want to catch him jerking off and I don't want to be caught jerking off. I don't, I just, I don't want to know how much ectoplasm is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You shine that black light. No, no. You know? The only time I would let a spirit. So let's just say it's just like an average spirit that, you know, is like mildly detectable, you know, like uh, maybe he just uh, like stops clocks at certain times or whatever uh, mm-hmm. would be like, if you know okay if i get rid of him will something worse come and take his place kind of a devil Ooh. devil you know kind of thing that's true right because yeah. you know you get you you exercise a home and like i know my <laughs> I, I learned that my house was uh uh the people who bought it to flip it bought it on a sheriff auction uh mm. <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know what happened here but uh it's a nice it's a, it's, a, it's a cozy three-bedroom ranch uh that mm-hmm. may or may not have been a drug lab or a crime place uh yeah no no you just you, you, you don't want to evict somebody uh and then create a uh an attractive nuisance for demons and yeah. stuff who are going to come in you know yeah yeah i i the, the question assumes a lot of agency on our behalf so right right you know but i would not want to be fucked by this no <laughs> that's the thing how horny is this ghost is going to be the operative yeah. thing yeah yeah I, is, is it the ghost that blows uh dan Aykroyd? Mm-hmm. in ghostbusters if so yes 
Um, I would love to have <laughs> that in common with Dan Aykroyd. You went the other way here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I well, imagine were... the icebreaker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Aykroyd. We yeah. have a common acquaintance. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you wanted to meet Dan Aykroyd so much. I thought you were I, I uh, uh, no, lukewarm I, I on the like man. Dan yeah, yeah, I don't really like Dan Aykroyd. No. Um, I just, I'm just an ectosexual. Um, Tom asks, uh, I'm cooking Christmas dinner for the first time this year and looking for inspiration. What do you like to eat for Christmas dinner? So we don't do Christmas dinner in my family. For us, it's, it's Christmas breakfast or brunch. Mm. Um, and I just, it's kind of always been the case. I think that there have always been other social engagements that we've had, like in the, uh, and the, in the evening, you know, used to be, we go over to like church friends places or stuff, but as those people have died, the, like the, the nighttime is mostly just, you know, sleeping and, you know, watching movies and stuff. But yeah, we have like egg casserole and fruit and cinnamon rolls and bacon and sausage and juice. Uh, usually like right after we eat, uh, right, right, right after we open presents, uh, it's a good mm-hmm. time. Uh, love me an egg casserole. Um, I don't, uh, typically have not gone back home for Christmas for forever, for a very long time. Um, and this year because of COVID, uh, we're not going to my girlfriend's parents or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just going to do takeout, mm-hmm. uh, for Thanksgiving, we purchased a honey baked ham, Ooh. uh, which is recommended. Hmm. Uh, if anybody is interested in ham spiral, cut. um, spy. Oh man. Spiral cut. Mm. Yes. Yep. Uh, delicious. Very good. Uh, this year though, we're just doing takeout. Gotcha. So, uh, back in the day, you know, Turkey, like it would be basically Thanksgiving too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not like super crazy about all those staples. Like I love pumpkin pie. I love green bean casserole. I yeah, love biscuits. Yeah. Like yams, uh, turkey, I'm really lukewarm on yeah. all those other sides. Like here's some corn. It's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, I, can, I, I know enough about nutrition now to be like, <laughs> that's nothing. Corn. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to just eat corn. It's sugar. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Um, oh. But I, but I encourage you any to any time there is a social occasion where you can sub out a breakfast would be the, is, is the way to go. When we, uh, back when I was graduating from high school, we were talking about doing a, uh, doing graduation parties and stuff. And I was like, I, I really don't feel like competing with everybody else's parties or whatever. So why don't we do a party in the morning, the day before graduation? Uh, we'll have a mm-hmm. breakfast party. Um, and that ended up working out really great. So yeah, do everything with breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast is good. Yeah. Uh, Cinderella fast. Do you have a favorite monster of the week show? X-Files, Buffy, Doctor Who, Supernatural, Scooby Doo, Scooby Who, Doctor Scoop, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Scoop, <laughs> Scooby Doo can do do. Hmm. Um, but Jimmy Carter is smarter. Uh, I like X Files. X Files is good. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, for 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 those things, I don't I don't watch like tons of Monster of the Week style shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anymore, but I do like that format. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember liking uh, X Files quite a bit. Yes. Back in the day, I've been meaning to do a rewatch. Same. Yeah. No, I like mm-hmm. X-Files if we're talking like specifically about monsters, but like that to me, my my love of that structure is just a kind of an extension of like, I don't know, like in Columbo or Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, what's, like, the, what's uh, the mystery this week? I like a novelty. Yeah. But, 
Um, Jonathan says, uh, having Dragon Age 2 and Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance this month really put into stark contrast why I never find, found the world of Thetis to be interesting. Gary manages to sum it up in a single word, limited. The Forgotten Realms may be somewhat generic, but it also contains multitudes. This got me thinking about settings, specifically in D&D, and I gotta know, which is worse, Eberron or Spelljammer? Eberron. Yeah. No. Uh, boring will always be worse than stupid. I have a really hard time with spell jammer, man. (laughs) Just it's yeah, it's it's hard for me. (laughs) I don't know. It's not an endorsement of spell jammer. It's just no, uh, no. I I'm just having a hard time answering this question. Like uh I agree with you that boring is worse than stupid, but like (laughs) spell jammer is extremely rough. Spell jammer, you get a lot of beholder content, Gary. You do, but they're not beholders. They're not like they're they have like ranks and they're they're like Star Treks. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, Eberron is kind of like steampunk D D. Um Spelljammer is space D D. Yeah. But so. like I mean, also kind of steampunky. Like you go through ships, but yeah. it's like it's like Final Fantasy airships, so they're like wooden galleons that fly through space. But in space. Yeah. And just tons and tons of ship combat rules. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I might actually give it give Spelljammer the the reverse edge because of that. OK, ship combat yeah. rules. Yeah. But it's just about setting. Like when it comes when, when it comes to the settings, it's not about the mechanics. Well, then I might say ever on them. Yeah, because I don't like steampunk. It's full of data. It's like they're all the war forged, mm-hmm. which are all just like androids. Like, what is this thing called? Love? Like trying yeah, to learn how to be yeah. human and stuff. And I uh, am a little bit over that plot. Yes. So, yeah. Like weirdly, I think like Eberron, you know, because it came with fourth edition, the mechanics in it act are actually pretty good. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, let's see here, and then rounding out the lightning round with Jacob, who says, "What up, boys? Um, what if up? there if there was a gaming generation that you could live without ever playing again, what would it be, and why? NES to PS4." That's a really tough question. It is because my first inclination would be to say like ah maybe like PlayStation or PlayStation Two, but that's like prime survival horror time. So mm-hmm. like I couldn't get rid of anything that would like lose me either Silent Hill One or Silent Hill Two. Yep, I was I was very ready to say PS Two, and then I remembered uh, Resident Evil Four. Yeah, uh, and then I was like oh PS Three, and then I was like oh yeah, but Demon Souls, Dark Souls, right? So I guess PS Four, maybe I lose Bloodborne, I lose Witcher Three. But maybe that would be it. Maybe. Maybe that would be the one. I mean, if I never touched an, an NES again, like. That's hard, though. Yeah. Like, but maybe, though, because I'm so familiar with those. And it's not like. Yeah. I'm discovering new stuff from it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that might be the answer, too. And that's also really sad to think about. Mm-hmm. Because like, those are still good and fun. Do you lose the Game Boy with that generation? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's Game yeah. Boy. And then Game Boy Advance is Super Nintendo generation, I think. Huh. Yeah, it would have to be NES. Yeah. Yeah, I, really I don't know. Tough. How, I don't know how much there, how much more there is to learn from that. No more, no more Mario. No more Maniac Mansion. Ooh, that's smarts. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. This is a really, really cruel question, Jacob. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, I, I would say NES. Yeah. Knowing that everything will be that, a loss. Yeah. Yeah, I would say either that or PS4. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, tough, tough question. Uh, moving on. Moving thank on. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, moving on to our topics. Um, we recognize that we are uh, getting behind in topics. We're going to do a catch-up episode. Yes. Soon. Don't you worry. Don't worry. Uh, but we have this topic uh, here from Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, ben says, you guys sometimes say don't punish me with repetition in regards to games when you redo, redo something after failing. I was curious if you have any good examples of games that have alternative punishments or if you have any ways you wish developers could get around this issue. I agree with your view on this, but I was curious about good solutions. Thanks for the great content. I look forward to new episodes every week. Thanks, yeah. Ben. Um, so maybe kind of a broader discussion about uh, fail states. Yeah. And alternatives for fail states in games. Mm -hmm. How do you um, let a player know that they have not done something correctly? They have not risen to the occasion uh, without uh, being hateful to them, without making the yes. game act actively worse to play. So in terms of repetition for something, um, I really want to have, if I'm going to repeat something in a game, I want to try something different. I don't want to just execute something better. Yeah. Um, that is my, uh, and once I have done something, I don't want to do it again or mm -hmm. have to do it again unless yeah. I want to. So that plays into like, you know, multi-phase boss fights feel like they're punishing me with a repetition. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I figured out how to kill sister Ariandel. Yeah. You know, why am I, or you know, why am sister I doing Frida. this? Yeah. Sister Frida, you know, father Ariandel, why am I doing this again? Mm-hmm. You know, I can do it faster. I can do it better, perhaps. Yeah. But I've already did it. That should be good enough. Yeah, there should be like uh, something I can do outside of the like. Give me the, uh, the you know set the checkpoint between the phases. But like, if I want to do the entire thing, give me an option outside of the boss arena, right? Yeah, give me a bonfire aesthetic. Yeah, some kind. Um, if I'm going to just try something again, I want to try something new. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, so that's where like, um, I really like in tactical games. Yeah. Um, I don't mind failure, mm -hmm. you know, like in XCOM, I didn't mind failure because I would be like, okay, my, my tactics were bad. Yeah. That's not punishing me to telling me to do the same thing again. It's saying, try something different. Yeah. Whereas like failing on sword Saint Ishan is just saying, do the same thing, but better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just don't don't fuck up like you did that time. Yeah, stop stop yeah. screwing. Like the way to do it, you know, if I were beating this, I would simply not screw up. Yeah. I never just, want that joke to be true. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. If somebody if somebody's watching it. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, and especially, you know, I was thinking about this, like uh having failure set up different challenges in the future, I think is like a, a an A plus way to do it. Either uh yeah. you know, failure um you know, requires you to uh, expend resources, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to get around it later on. Um, if it changes the story, that's good. If it locks you out of getting crucial information or seeing content, I'm generally kind of okay with that. Like the XCOM example kind of unlocked that for me, where like if you're engaging with that system, like losing an XCOM, you know, being wiped or, you know, coming out having lost a certain number of players like you're meant to roll with that because that game is a wonderful integration of the meta and the you know the the, the meta and the micro right mm -hmm. like every level yeah. of that needs to feed into the other for it to work right so i think that yeah. that is a great way to uh a great way to punish uh failure is to make things harder in the future it's worth uh, mentioning too that this is highly subjective right yes. because that aspect of xcom is something that really appeals to me um, roll with the punches. The punches make the future more interesting. Yeah. Um, for some people, that is poison, and mm -hmm. they would much prefer just do it over again. Yeah. Well, that, that's you why know? they can uh, reload saves, right? Yeah. They they can they can still play that way. But in terms of like whether a designer allows for 
mm-hmm. uh, you to move forward can be like controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't like it. Like I did not do perfectly. That's I didn't get through the stealth level without being seen. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. I didn't do it right. Do yeah. better. Evaluate me. Grade me. I'm ever so good. <laughs> um, whereas like to me, like, you know, so games that do this well would be like XCOM strategy games, things like that. Where mm-hmm. I can try different things. Um, especially if they or, or games like um like immersive sim style things. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, like I got caught in this dishonored level. Um, I had to run away and have this like, you know, this chase on the rooftop rooftops. Mm-hmm. And I almost got killed and I had to duck behind a dumpster to heal and wait out the police. Uh, until there's just one of them and then i like took his face mm-hmm. and integrated like that kind of stuff makes cool stories to me yeah in a way that perfect stealth and say that that or a hitman yeah are not yeah. cool stories yeah i, I was gonna br- i was uh, gonna, so gonna bring up forward. hitman like hitman when you fail it just creates interesting problems to try and solve right like it's, well, it's the game it like yeah. creates the game <laughs> yeah like well you fuck, know? i've got to deal with this guy's body now yeah yeah um, what I don't know when people are playing those who aren't digging them, I don't know why you're playing or if you are digging them and you're not digging that, I don't know what you're playing them for. Yeah. You know, that is the appeal is mm-hmm. failing forward, like not having a binary fail state, having like a slippery slope mm-hmm. of a fail state that just makes things more complicated and challenge and challenging in the future in ways that you can or cannot overcome. Yeah. And usually there are ways that you can overcome, but you're dinged on something like score. Yeah. You know, and then the handy hack that I have of not giving a shit about that mm-hmm. just makes that work for me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a wonderful to be able to turn that off. Yeah, just like I could not care less. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I was going to say um, in terms of tactic stuff is I love when uh, I feel and I have to retry something, but I have to stretch my resources. Yeah. Um, Divinity Original Sin 2 is like masterclass at this where an encounter will seem impossible at first. And then you realize, Oh, if I use this scroll and this arrow and these two potions, or if I, you know, prepare the battlefield in this specific way before the fight, mm-hmm. I can make this maybe manageable. Yeah. And the way I play those play that game or play games like that is I never back down from something. Mm-hmm. Like if I get to something, you know, unless it seems like it is literally impossible, I will figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And that is really satisfying to me that operate like hits the, that's part of why I play games, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to solve problems in creative ways. Yeah. I, I, w- the way that I would like to, you know, rise to an occasion is to play smarter, not better. Right. Yes. Yeah. Always like 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Uh, something I want to do with this prompt is kind of answer to a contradiction, um, which is, you know, we talked about like, Hey, don't, don't punish me with, with repetition. Um, but we also, you know, famously really enjoy Souls-like games where the primary loop is to fail against tremendous odds until you understand the situation enough that you can that you can make this repetitive run, you know, from your checkpoint to the boss um, and, yeah. and finish it. It's like, it, it, like that's built into the loop there in a way that seems to contradict some stuff that we talk about generally. Well, you also you try something again. Yeah. You try you try something different rather. Mm hmm on those typically like it's very rare that i just like hey execute better yeah is the answer to to a souls like run the other thing and this is not a gamer brag but i've internalized enough of those you know that genre where it's i don't actually die very often okay. in souls games now mm-hmm. um or in modern dark souls games like i died a lot in Sekiro. yeah but even in dark souls 3 or bloodborne like you know, I kind of can read those games. Like I know where ambushes are coming and stuff like that. Yeah. The first time was definitely based on a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. 
though. And I give that a lot of grace because it was like learning a new genre. Yeah. It was like yeah. very fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, the game supports it. Yes. You know, if you're doing that in like Tomb Raider 2016, <laughs> uh, it doesn't. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have to be doing runs from checkpoint to checkpoint in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing the same thing over and over again because it doesn't have the rigor for that. Like the deaths feel cheap. <clears throat> I'm not really trying something different. You know, it's just like maybe I misread an area like this was time for stealth area, not a time for shoot area. Mm-hmm. And I messed that up. But it doesn't the game doesn't support the variety of uh, play styles or approaches. Yeah, that's a huge problem. Like in Naughty Dog games is uh, yeah. um, not understanding what exactly it's asking of you. You know, what, which mode yeah. am I am I supposed to be in at this particular moment? It's only asking one thing. Like there's mm-hmm. one answer yeah. to this, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's a huge bummer. There's like the sniper rifle re- mission in uh, The Last of Us yeah, where the guy doesn't like spawn until you get to a certain point. Mm-hmm. So you can't take him out in advance. Like you throw grenades up there, but nothing happens yeah. early on until you get to a certain point. Then you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, things like that. So the, the, this is, you know, really kind of hitting home, um, especially now that we're playing um, Grand Theft Auto Vice City which oh. you know was like right there at the start of a popularization of open world games and i think definitely vice city was the one that really made people realize there was promise to this there mm-hmm. were there were there's more tread on the tires than just grand theft auto 3 um and kind of how basic that was but like you know comparing that to things that ended up happening in the genre later especially as open world games got got better going back is really hard we're like when you fail a mission or if you get you know killed or busted like all right i've got to go you know i've either got to drive back to the to the place where i got to go or i gotta hop in a taxi that's waiting there to take me uh to the to the mission start and i literally just do the start of it again i remember the game that solved this the game that solved this was burnout paradise that was yeah. open world, right? And you would do these individual races that started at different um that started at different uh intersections. And if you failed, you know, if you didn't get the uh the 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 crash points that you needed or if you did poorly in a race, instead of like going back um to where it started, you could just go into the interface and just say restart mission, and then you would go do it. Um, later Grand Theft Auto games, like especially five is really kind about this, like had like mid mission checkpoints, which are really good. Um, and uh, you know, like the, those have different things you can do, uh, to, to, you know, to solve particular missions and also like they'll change up dialogue. If you do stuff again, like you're not hearing the same thing every time, like, you know, they've ended up like fixing the stuff and making it better, uh, you know, to like recover after you fail, even if you are doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's the, the kind of thing we're, we're talking about is two different philosophies of what constitutes an encounter. Yeah. Right? So like imagine a, a good way to think about this uh, or that I think about it is like a, a big, like a level in Tomb Raider one. Yeah. Um, And there's a save point at the bottom and there's a save point at the top of a huge section of like platforming. Mm-hmm. And whether you consider it meaningful to do all of those individual micro challenges as one go, yeah. like does the extra fatigue it takes of making those decisions, um, the extra kind of like uh, extended concentration, is that meaningful? Mm-hmm. Like is doing this stuff all together more meaningful than doing them piecemeal? And the answer to that is obviously like sometimes yes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want mid... I don't want like a, a save point after every swing of a sword in Dark Souls. No, that sucks. You know, 
like you know every boss it's like if i land the hit you know and sometimes i've had to play nes games that way mm-hmm. where they're really hard and hateful and i just save state and it's like if i hit them i save state and if i missed i don't mm-hmm. you know and like you just kind of create that kind of shitty mode for yourself to get past something that's like super hateful um but you do want there is a balance there and it's not you know as much as possible yeah and it's 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 not something that i think that like game designers get right most of the time mm-hmm. uh or at least not uh like ps3 generation and before like it's something that's gotten a lot better as it's gotten more generous um but the idea that like oh no no like this whole thing is this entire base mm-hmm. that's the encounter the encounter is clearing this entire base and if you can do that in one go that's the thing mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff you know there, there are so many parts of that that are just not different from one run to the next that it makes it uh odious yes yeah. Um, and something that, um, you know, just because we talk about this game all the time, because I think it made a huge impression on both of us, you know, if you can build failure into the model of the game, like Disco Elysium does, um, that yeah. is a wonderful and special thing, but not everything can do that. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely uh, failing forward. Yeah. Roll, you know, again, Witcher 3, mm-hmm. we talked about. You fail forward. You don't know if you failed. Like, you can obviously still die. Yeah. And that, but in terms of the decisions, there's not really a fail state mm-hmm. for them. Um, I want to send a special reverse shout out to uh, pre Metal Gear 5 Metal Gears. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For having their fail state be hide in a locker just for fucking ever. <laughs> uh, don't do it. Yes, do it again, but give yourself a little time out to think yeah. about how you failed. Um, you know, feel just to stare at the back of a locker for a while yeah just and, and then, just uh, just wait watch a timer go down think about what you've done that kind of stuff drives me fucking batty like yeah. that's patronizing mm-hmm. uh to me and just like no no you deal with what you did like that fucking sucks so bad yeah uh yeah kojima can step on a rake like that <laughs> got shit better sucks so your bad. five and uh it did get uh, better he eventually figured it out yeah yeah and Death Stranding is so good long. about that too yeah why did it take him so long why did he think that was good for so long yeah yeah Answer um, for what you've done. Answer for what you've done. Be ashamed of your words and deeds. <laughs> you may be hiding a locker during Metal Gear Solid 2 constantly. <laughs> it's the only thing you could think of for failure. Yeah. You know? You're oh, a game I shouldn't be better at this than you. <laughs> um, you're famous for this. Come on. Yeah, you're famous. Like, you get paid. You could hang out with Norman fucking Reedus. Yeah. I can't remember the last time Norman Reedus returned my call. <laughs> uh, the, uh... So... Yeah, I mean, like anything else, like on this like state of fail states. In general, I am really in favor of being able to save my game whenever I want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I understand the logic against it. Mm-hmm. It's abusable. Um, yeah, it's abusable, but also like I'm an adult. Like, yeah. why are you trying to patronize me? This, you know, this is something weird, and I think that it's it's something that uh, that Sony is trying. But like, are you aware of like the? Uh, what Sony is trying to do with like selecting quests from the uh, from the dashboard in the PS5? No. Yeah. So like it's just the idea that like some games you can just like launch directly into a quest without getting without you know going through starting up and loading your save or whatever. Which mm. I don't know. I'm all I'm a fan of doing stuff in a menu when you can, but that just seems like it is taking a lot of the joy out of it actually. And I really hope that that is a feature that goes by the wayside, like uh, like PlayStation Home or what have you. It's interesting. Like, yeah. I don't think that, like, uh, I would use it very often. 
Yeah. But it's like there are games in which I could see mm-hmm. that being very useful and good. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I just want to get started right away. Like I, I could imagine like playing Skyrim. Yeah. And just being like, I want to sit down to play Skyrim. Like I'm just mm-hmm. start me off doing this. Yeah. You know, so I don't have to like just put in the the walk tax. Mm-hmm. But also like, I don't know, it be, feels hard to integrate and like fiddly. Yeah. I just, I, I uh, had a very, uh, uh, just a, just a, just a very negative reaction. Almost like I smelled something bad when I saw that in the menu. I was like, Ugh, mm. I don't know. What, uh, what game did you see it for? Um, I saw it for Miles Morales. Okay. And I was like, I don't know, getting to where emission starts and that is fun. Oh, it's... <laughs> yeah. The, the kind of show that's like the one game where it's like, man, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's the game where you solved it. Like it's fun just to be in this world the mm-hmm. whole time um so yeah yeah uh that's uh, basically what i got on that same here um some scattered thoughts Mm -hmm. um thanks everybody for writing in uh we will be doing an overflow episode soon if you want to contribute questions and prompts you do so by being a patron if you go to Mm -hmm. patreon.com slash duckfeed tv we put out a post near the end of every month um and let's move on let's uh let's start reading your responses to dragon age 2 um i will get us started here with mitch uh, Mitch was the one who uh, uh, requested the episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank uh, you, Mitch. Yeah. Mitch uh, writes in via contact saying, I love this game. It lives in my mind as a paradoxically good game. Knowing you all were going to talk about it uh, has made me revisit the game to see what I really like about it. When I think about it, Dragon Age 2 feels like a video game adaptation from the table to, of, the, of the tabletop experience. Every character feels like a character that I've seen someone make. From the broody, enigmatic elf warrior... Uh, to the charismatic storytelling life of the party dwarf i've seen all of these in tabletop sessions even the world's most boring character sebastian feels like a first-time player playing it safe the moment you turn on the game the party ignores the over-designed obviously evil flemeth to chase a personal motive of fortune and fame in the deep roads uh for the most part the story and the plot threads remain local and intimate with the characters involved even the big even the big climax is only viewed from a local perspective People largely and rightfully deride the game for its egregious reuse of dungeons and boring battles, uh, but those aren't the things that I remember. I remember trying to help Avalyn move on from her late husband, uh, and when she yelled at me for selling her husband's shield. Uh, I remember trying to gain access to a dock by warning the workers about a fire, only to have Meryl innocently say, What fire? I remember saving Bethany in the Deep Roads, but only because I decided to take Anders over Varric for a second playthrough. The reason that I love this game is that the moment-to-moment is built around the characters, and the experience changes based on who you have in the party. Everything feels like it is personal to the player, down to Hawk adapting his mannerisms uh, based around your initial choices. I can't really say this is a good game, but I can say that this is an interesting game. I think that it is a game worth talking about, and I'm glad you all took the time. And we're glad Me that too. you uh, that you sponsored the episode. Yeah, I'm glad we took the time as well. Yeah. Like this was always going to be something we did as as two defenders of this, but it mm-hmm. felt really good to put it to bed. And I did have fun with it, even though those things that are bad about it are obnoxious as hell. Yep. Um, yeah, and it does have that feeling of you know the characters have this feeling of straight putt-ness mm-hmm. to them that does kind of it can be a little comforting. You know, like the observation that these feel like people's first or second D&D characters Mm -hmm. is pretty on base, I think. Yeah, especially about Fenris. Fenris and Varric specifically. Very, yeah. Fenris is extremely (laughs) D&D. 
Stuart says via contact. Uh, we have a cat named Anderfels. We named him after playing Awakening and before playing Dragon Age 2. <laughs> I like to think of him as the fun apostate who whistles at the dump truck ass on a statue of Andraste and not the bomber of Kirkwall. <laughs> um, I really liked Anders, not the cat, in Awakening, but I felt like he'd lost a lot of his charm in 2. I felt that way about a lot of the writing, really. Maybe it was the switch to voiced main character uh, that removed so many options and made the game feel more flat since that voice had to work for any kind of character you'd be playing. Um, I also don't like voiced main characters, mm -hmm. and I also agree that Anders is way less charming than in Awakening. Yeah. Um, could be a number of different things, a uh, different writer. Uh, that maybe they mm -hmm. figured a way to show that this character has grown over time is to have him be traumatized as all hell. Um, that is necessarily less fun. Also, Anders uh, has a different voice actor uh, in this one. Yes. They did in the first. So, yeah. Any number of things. Um, it is very yeah. funny that you have a cat named after a terrorist. It's, yeah. like, it's like all those people who named their kid Daenerys or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then turned out uh, Dragon Lady bad. Yeah. Like she's, uh, she's they, so prob good. they probably should have seen that coming a long, a long time, a long time coming. I, I like to think that it was uh, people not having faith in the show to do anything interesting. Oh yeah, like, that's such a monkey's paw show. Because <laughs> I, I was way into like bad Daenerys, but the way they did it was the stupidest possible way. Yeah, they could do it. Like there were hints there <laughs> that pe the show was like half ignoring and half underlining and stuff, and uh -huh. it is frighteningly inept the way oh, they yeah, handled yeah. that character. Just like absolutely <laughs> legendary <laughs> shit. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> let's see yeah. here. Dan writes via contact saying, sometimes it feels like fantasy only comes in one flavor world spanning peril that must be stopped or all of existence is doomed. Dragon age two was such a breath of fresh air precisely because its focus is so tight. One city, many years. It's a great idea, no doubt born of some of the arbitrary constraints EA put on Bioware for this one, and I think it turned out reasonably well for the time that they had. Sure, the maps are recycled aggressively in buildings and caves, and the monster closets are not even kind of masked in any way, but I really enjoyed being able to see how tensions simmered to a breaking point over the years, relationships developed, and characters changed. Bioware stories prior to this game and after this game have always leaned way too heavily on the one person can save the entire galaxy idea. It's not to say that Hawk's role in Kirkwall isn't outsized and maybe a touch impractical, but it sure seems a lot more plausible than the Warden or Inquisitor from the games that sandwich this one. I really do think that Dragon Age 2's buggy launch uh, and rush nature combined to give it a much worse reputation among fans who didn't play it, uh, because I think the because I think the story trumps origins in almost every way. I can't speak to Inquisition because I I got too bored and never finished it. It's really boring. Yeah, it's yeah interesting characters, bad stuff you have to do. Boring video game. Yeah. Um, I always thought that. Uh, one of the big advantages two has is that I think that the dark spawn and the blight is really boring. Yeah. Like what if there were some unthinking evil orcs? Mm-hmm. I've always thought that was like really generic and dumb. Yeah. So like when awakening, when one of them can talk, I was like, cool. Like with, with speech comes motivation. Yeah. You know, maybe this won't just be like an environmental hazard mm -hmm. and two having its kind of grab bag of threats, even though as we talked about at length handled them, in a ham-handed way. Yeah. Um, at the very least, it wasn't just like, what if some evil works? You know? Yeah. So, Darkspawn kind of suck. Agreed. Shouldn't have based your entire franchise around them. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Peter says via contact, Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for the great series of episodes about Dragon Age 2. 
I thought it was very interesting living through its narrative again with you, particularly when being able to draw parallels between the game's polarizing setting and our current existence in 2020. One thing I felt was a bit of a shame was that you didn't get to experience the game on Nightmare Difficulty. That is, I feel the game really sings on a mechanical level when you play in this mode. Now, this isn't some kind of get-good insult. The game is simply not tuned well enough to be interesting to play on lower difficulty settings. Enemies die too fast to be a threat, they never have a chance to do anything interesting or surprising, uh, which they'll actually do if given the chance, and there's never a need for you to optimize your build, gear, or tactics. This is probably why they pad, uh, later pad the battles with annoying reinforcements. This is very different on Nightmare Difficulty. I would actually say that the game is at its best mechanic is the best mechanically of all the Dragon Age games when played on the setting. Sadly, most people are scared off by the label. I think the fault lies with the executives at EA and the extremely short development time the game had. My guess is that the designers were forced to tune the game to be much, much easier than intended on all the lower difficulty levels and didn't have enough time to do it properly. Nightmare stayed, in the, cl uh, stayed the closest to the intended difficulty because the people in charge probably didn't care about it. Now, Nightmare might be a bit too hard, uh, particularly because of the friendly fire, but I still believe that it is the closest to the intended balance of the game. If you ever go back and play the game, again, give Nightmare a chance, perhaps with a no-friendly-fire mod. Again, overall, I really enjoy these episodes. Looking forward to uh, listening to you guys do more WRPGs in the future. And we will do more of them in the future. What I would want from Nightmare Mode, yes, we, we, we certainly will. I'm mm -hmm. trying to sneak one in during this year because there's like <laughs> a bunch of things I want to cover Yeah. Um, before next winter. Um, I wish that Nightmare Mode cut the reinforcements. Yeah, that'd be good. Like the... The thing that made me not want to be engaged with all those individual creatures and having to take them all as a threat is that every fight had 70 of them. Yeah. And it's like, that's too much. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, nightmare mode, if it were just like a small, well-composed group of serious threat enemies, <laughs> that would have been incredible. Yeah. But no, you get really the, you get the worst of the, of the lower, uh, difficulties, uh, in addition to the additional hurdles, uh, that yeah. they will, uh, the, the nightmare would put on. Herlocks. Yeah. It's pronounced Herlock. Herlocks. So. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> that was a pretty good joke. That was good. Like, no, no, I okay. wanted to let it breathe. Just, yeah. Yeah, just no no sale on that. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not no selling it. Right? I just wanted to let right. it breathe. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Sometimes We're you can let the here, audience man. Laugh. I understand. Yeah. No. Okay. But uh, <laughs> that wasn't so bad. No, it's fine. You did um, good. You did a good job, Gary. Thanks. Greet me, evaluate me. I'm ever so good. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, just a friendly fire was what uh, uh, steered me clear of uh, the nightmare difficulty. Um, yeah, too much. No, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see here. Ray writes via contact saying, "So Dragon Age Two was prime Tumblr time for me. Uh, I had by the time I played it in 2012 a pack of queer discoursey friends online uh, that I would Google chat with for hours. As part of that discourse mindset, I followed the pack at the time and I hated on the game so much so that in a fit of pique, I mailed my copy to my Tumblr friend in Canada. I paid the postage to mail an Xbox 360 game to Canada. Ah, youth." Um, anyway, in hindsight, the game did not deserve the scorn that I piled that I piled it with. At the time, I felt frustrated by the way my agency was continually taken away from me. I particularly hated the part where, no matter what you do, Hawk's mom dies horribly. Now, as an actual adult, I can see what they were trying to do was impress your smallness and insignificance, though, as you say, in a cowardly way that does not stick the landing. 
Same goes for the ending, but the ending still deserves my youthful wrath. I hated Anders, hated that I have no uh, say or sway in his decisions and don't uh, get to see him gradually descend to making them. I hated that Cullen was brought in again and I was supposed to trust his dumb oppressionist ass, which I resented even more in Inquisition. I never liked him. Stop trying to make him happen. He sucks. Most of all, though, I remember uh, what I remember about Dragon Age 2 is that it feels like they tried to make bisexuality the game. Uh, and because it was 2011 and David Gator, uh, it became more aggressive bisexual stereotypes, the game. Oh, Zevran. Oh, Isabella. Except this is where Bioware's extremely frustrating trend of making fascinating masculine leading women and femme presenting characters that are aggressively straight. Avalyn, Cassandra, oh lord, the lesbian longing for, uh, the lesbian longing online for Cassandra. What's her face from Mass Effect Andromeda who becomes an Asari commando and yet is still not somehow a giant, and I'm going to use uh, Ray's word here, uh, and yet is still somehow not a giant dyke. I know many queer people work at BioWare and they get a lot of praise for being like the HRC, the Hillary Rodham Clinton of AAA game makers, but lord Jesus, the butch eraser is strong. Anyway, the older I get, the more I come around to y'all's frame of mind that it's the centrist cowardice, which I think the butcher racer can be counted as such. You can be queer only if you appeal to men, but you can be other only if you follow all the rules and assimilate. Um, that really holds them back creatively. It's sad. Uh, but they're not the only game in town anymore. Haha. Ha, and I certainly don't have to look at their games for a mirror of queer life. No. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, I appreciate the right. perspective. Absolutely. Like, that's, you know, something that, like, I understand this is a huge part of Bioware. Yeah. You know, is, is the representation angle. And I don't, you know, I don't feel bad criticizing Bioware because I don't have that. I just try to stay aware. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. an aspect of this that other people are seeing that I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, the thing with the, the, the butch characters that's interesting is that, like, it's interesting to do a character who is butch and straight. Yeah. You know, like that happens, mm -hmm. you know, like I, you know, I have friends and stuff like that, but if they continually do it, I could see how it could be super frustrating. Yeah. Like it's a pattern. It's a blind spot. Yeah. Like one time it's, it's kind of subversion, mm -hmm. but if you're continually doing it, it's like, well, okay. You know, throw a bone. Yeah. Uh, I'm also glad that you pointed out that it feels like bisexuality, the game. Uh, Cause that is how that felt to me as well. Like Zevron's, you know, just basically just, saying it like while covered in blood from a giant spider <laughs> was real weird. Yeah. You know, well, I mean also something that is pretty important about dragon age two, especially compared to other stuff, all of your romance options can be, um, can be romanced whether or not your character is male or female. Like nobody is uh, except Sebastian. Except Sebastian. Sebastian. Is straight. Okay. Yeah, Sebastian shit. is straight. I, I, I was, ba I was basing that like categorization on the base game. Uh, so oh, okay. the, for the four romanceable people in the base game, um, can be romanced regardless of who you play as. Um, yeah, which yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, but I am glad that, uh, they are not the only game in town anymore mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I desperately want, uh, you know, people who are, uh, in any way queer to have better representation than they've been given. Mm -hmm. yeah. I do not want you to have to settle for the crumbs. Yeah. You don't need to settle for what the mass market, um, it yeah. decides to throw your way anymore. It'd be nice if the mass market came around, but it's always going to lag behind. Yeah. Uh, Patrick says via contact. 
I consider myself a fan of the Dragon Age series, but that comes with a huge caveat because every game has some pretty glaring problems. I think it's interesting that the problems with each entry are fairly different from one another, though. With Dragon Age 2, it's the storytelling that really uh, stuck out to me as hard to enjoy. The vast majority of plot lines boil down to so-and-so has been corrupted by an evil magical power. Kill goons until they're better or dead. <laughs> and as much as I always prefer to play uh, the freedom fighter in games, I know, being anti-slavery, what a strong moral stance, Dragon <laughs> Age 2 keeps going out of its way to convince me that maybe magic really is as bad as anyone says. Are there any mages in the game that don't immediately sell their souls to demons at the first opportunity? Even Hawk can dabble in blood magic. If Bioware was trying to create moral complexity with this, then there need to be characters who reacted to their circumstances in different rational ways. But seemingly every mage, no matter their personality or motivations, from Beryl to the first enchanter to random refugees, does exactly the first thing that the fascist Templars say is wrong with mages. The way the story goes out of its way to try to make sure both sides can be just uh, perfectly justified in their prejudices rings hollow and rob the story of any weight it might have otherwise had if Bioware weren't terrified of having a point of view. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that interesting of a story to have the Templars be right. Mm-hmm. Like, even if, you know, if there's, if you're like, oh, they're not fascist, if they're right, like in their world, they're just like cautious. It's mm -hmm. not a very good story. Yeah. It's not interesting. And like, you know, I don't know. The problem with mages kind of seems to be like it would get more interesting at scale. And that's yeah. where it gets to be a problem. That's where it gets to be a problem that we don't get to see what happens in the Taventure Imperium. Right. Yeah. Like we never really get to see what a society with mages on top looks like. We only get to see, you know, people you know, going to the dark side of magic kind of off in the corners because they are pressed down so hard that they have to press back up. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like, I would it, believe it, the threat at a societal scale, whereas like if they're just serial killers with a different motivation because of the way they were born, that sucks. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if, if, if the idea is like, Oh, like the Templars have a point because every mage is, you know, uh, makes a deal with the devil. Like, yeah. yes, that's true. It's mm -hmm. not very interesting though. Right. Like that's not a good <laughs> idea for a world or story that doesn't make for good air character motivations. Like that is a mistake mm -hmm. to do it that way. Um, and then in order to balance the scales, they have to make the Templars extra monstrous yeah. and kill a lot of innocent people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so fuck it. Fuck the conflict in that game. Basically <laughs> the yeah. central conflict is shit. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, Tom the Optimist writes in via contact saying, I feel weird for not liking Dragon Age 2. I should be in the pocket for Bioware games. I finally finished the entire original Baldur's Gate series based on your podcast way back in 2018. I know I'm slow at CRPGs um, and also recently played through the whole Mass Effect trilogy. I think it was actually Mass Effect 3's Citadel DLC, the one that is supposed to be funny, that helped me explain my issue with Dragon Age 2. In Citadel, it's fan service galore, just lots of callbacks to old jokes, uh, but it had an unintentional side effect of making the characters seem like people who have lived together. Conversations in Mass Effect 3 had characters go, remember when you said something back in Mass Effect 1? And it wasn't a joke. Instead, we had two characters resuming a conversation that they had started a couple of years ago. Saying these people felt like friends is very iffy and will vary person to person, but it felt like the characters were happy to be there. When I think back to Dragon Age 2, I remember two parts. 
I remember the classic Bioware both sidesness to the Mage and Templar fight. The game contorts the story into increasingly contrived knots to play the devil's advocate against itself. The story was Teflon, unlike most modern Bioware games. The other part that I remember was running around with Isabella and Aveline. Isabella started talking about Aveline's sex life with her late husband, and Aveline sounded genuinely hurt. It didn't feel like banter, uh, but instead sounded upsetting. The human element I love in Mass Effect was not present here. It was just the character bullies another. Uh, I don't go back to Dragon Age 2 the way that I go back to Mass Effect, because while both games involve vagueness coming to doom the world, uh, one has characters who actually care about each other. I think Gary summed it up best when he called them Hawk, Varric, and the rest. The crew. Yeah. Present. <laughs> um, the Aveline and Isabella relationship actually gets like what they do things with this, but I don't blame anybody for not. It's rough at the it. start because it just kind of comes across like prude and slut shaming. Just the yes. two of them sniping at each other in a really hateful way, personally. And then not just they grow to be friends. Yeah. Like they grow to, you know, they grow to be really good friends and understand each other. And that's a hard thing to do in one game. Yes. You know, and have it do that. Uh, but and it never explains the way their version, like, why are you guys even staying next to each other? <laughs> like, why are you not leaving after this person said this thing about your dead husband? <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it feels very contrived, the first part of it. And eventually that, you know, having a grudging understanding uh -huh. of one another is a cool idea for yeah. like a friendship and under like Aveline um, growing a backbone and being able to give as good as she takes is especially yeah. satisfying watching that go. Yeah. And I'm, you know, like I got to see that because I'm, I primarily rolled around with Aveline as my tank and Isabella uh, as my DPS. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there's something there, but it's not handled super gracefully. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and then there are characters that never really do it. Like, I had no idea why Fenris tolerated me. Right. You know, I threatened to sell him into slavery. Mm -hmm. I sided with the mages over and over, and he was just like, damn it, Hawk. Yeah. You get results. You know, and or if you're running around you with, with Fenris and Anders, like, they have no reason to be. I, the whole time. They should, I, I mean, the, the, like, that, like, that should have come to a head at the beginning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like absolutely like it's just it's just ridiculous uh -huh. you know and their relationship never develops or anything either they just like right. snipe at each other in a caddy way um like they're just playing it's not right sized you know? yeah yeah and then in the quest it's like oh that i actually mean this mm -hmm. but when we're wandering around like oh I, I'll, I'll make some exceptions for you because you're friends with hawk right you know like i would have liked to have like anders pull me aside and be like well, you can't hang out with this guy yeah you know, or vice versa. Like, you gotta stop hanging out with this guy. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you know, in Mass Effect, it would come to a head with individual characters who didn't get along with each other, and one of them would leave if you didn't have a sufficiently high enough Renegade or Paragon score or relationship with them, right? Mm -hmm. Because you had to make a choice. In Baldur's Gate. Yeah. You know, like they figured that out before that even. Mm -hmm. You know, happened in. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, it happened in uh, Dragon Age One as well, or Origins. Right? Yeah. You know, like Stan at a certain point left just because of the choices I was making, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric says via contact, I'm fair to middling on the gameplay of the Dragon Age games, but I'm usually there for the cast of characters. I was a total Loganiac. Loganiac. Loganiac in uh, Dragon Age Origins and have fond memories of wandering the desert zone in Inquisition listening to my crew of weirdos bicker. <laughs> in contrast, I was so disappointed when the cast of Dragon Age 2 left me totally cold when its promise of a smaller scale personal story was so appealing. 
I played a mage, so I lost my chance of getting the vaguely interesting sibling uh, and Carver. Uh, the vaguely interesting sibling and Carver met an undignified end in the Deep Roads. I recruited Isabella, but through some combination of poor choices, she decided to fuck off when the air shock started stirring things up. <laughs> Anders was too preachy to be around, so by the time he did his Anders thing, I had no compulsions about putting him down. And my first conversation with Fenris was enough to convince me to leave him pouting and sad in his mansion alone. <laughs> it's incredible to me that I had trouble even filling out my party with characters I like. And Meryl is on some thin fucking ice with her mirror bullshit. <laughs> um, Varric and Aveline were delightful and kept me going through the experience. I think the fact that their stories focus on relationships, Varric's with his brother, Aveline coping with the loss of her husband and learning to love again, without having to cater to a Bioware-style capital R relationship with Hawk, let them shine through. But I'll never forget how alien it was to have Fenris uh, start giving me shit in the endgame about siding with the mages and thinking, it'll be easier just to kill you than to pretend to care. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, ice cold. Good, good response. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is something that I think is important, actually, uh, in talking about uh, Dragon Age 2 and uh, Varric and Aveline specifically. Like, in games like this, Bioware games, you know, in particular or whatever, like, a lot of the time your party, like, your main character and what you are doing is their world entire. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas in Dragon Age 2, like, when you roll up on somebody's headquarters it feels like they have their own thing right you have varic with his you know business interests you have avalon being the captain of the guard you have meryl with her uh blood magic research and stuff like that i think that's actually pretty important and unique and should probably be uh emulated as opposed yeah. to just having everybody you know be sitting around your castle waiting for you to pick them up having no internal or external life without you being present yeah yeah, it, it can be something that's neat in theory without having been done super well. Yeah. You know, I think that that's probably, mm -hmm. you know, like there there was still needed some work on it. Yes. You know, but it is cool. I agree that that part is like stand out. Yeah. Uh, final Dragon Age 2 response here. Larry says via contact. Uh, in the Dragon Age 2 part 1 episode, Gary talked about how Inquisition made him feel almost physically sick and he had to put it down after 15 hours or so. That captures my feelings about Dragon Age 2. I finished the game once, but it felt gross in my hands. Some of my feeling may be due to expectations. I like CRPGs, I enjoyed Origins, and was hoping for a similar experience, uh, and I got an extremely rushed product that answers the question, what if Mass Effect 2 combat, but not fun or challenging? The development strategies of the Dragon Age sequels are like having someone driving on wet pavement and steering against the skid instead of into it. One hilarious overcorrection after another. That's a good metaphor. Um, I quibble with Cole's assertion that the heroes try to do the right thing, but their actions keep making it worse unintentionally. Hawk's role, in, uh, Hawk's role in this reminds me of what Gandalf tells Frodo about the events of The Hobbit. If you're referring to the incident with the dragon, I was barely involved. Hawk helped funds an expedition. They find evil metal, but Hawk and friends never have possession of it. Another guy takes it and sells it. Then nine years later, some lady, lady goes, I made it into a sword and now I'm crazy. <laughs> There's barely a connection. The other big thing that happens is Andrews dreams of revenge for nine years and then blows up a church, which Hawk didn't know about uh, and was an extremely intentional act on Andrews' part. Oh, and the head mage was secretly encouraging the research of a serial killer who butchered Hawk's mom. Oh, and he's a literal monster now. 
Hawk is almost a Forrest Gump or Zelig character uh, who was just there for a lot of things, but the game doesn't lean into it enough for me to enjoy it or think it's intentional. Uh, it felt like they needed the Civil War to start, uh, but they didn't want the player character to actually be at fault in any meaningful way. Uh, that is largely what happened, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Contextually, at least. Uh huh. Yeah. You know? I still like thinking so. of the entire crew as fuck ups who are basically just villains um, out of a different context. But yeah, the um, yeah, the, the thing I, I, I the thing where I saw uh, that the city is the villain, you know, <laughs> yeah, like the idea that it is a cur- literal cursed place. Mm-hmm. And that's why all this shit happens is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, none of the the villain kind of stuff or none of that stuff pays off well enough for yeah. me in service of them doing you know, pulling every punch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pulling every punch and having to, uh, to do, do the whole bit. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a little warmer on it than Larry, but Uh like, and it has to do with like what you're doing. Like the moment to moment combat in it is more fun to me than like collecting 10 of whatever's in inquisition. Like MMO quest design just grosses me the fuck out. Yeah. I think they should make it illegal. (laughs) Um, especially in MMOs. There should be a law. Yeah. There should be a law. Like, do not make me collect 10 of anything. <laughs> um, finally, we have one responsible Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance from Grumpy Grizz via contact. Uh, they say, like many, I played Dark Alliance years ago and barely remember it. Playing now is struck by several things. Huh, there's a jump button. That's weird. Wow, there's a dedicated block button. That's awesome. Hmm, what do all these old D&D skills do that aren't really explained? <laughs> the longer I played, the more I realized this was an interesting first swing, but ultimately a flawed game. They give you a jump button, and then the levels forget it exists after the first act. They give you a block button, but you encounter many enemies in the second and third act that shoot unblockable magic or poison. But the biggest flaw in the game is the loot system. Almost all the loot you get is vendor trash, and there's rarely any loot reason to explore the level. I kept hunting the corners of the dungeon, hoping to get a special chest uh, that would be bursting with awesome loot, and it never happened. Throughout the entire game, I think I equipped maybe four items that got his loot from bosses. Everything else uh, was bought from the vendors. The other thing I'm curious about is if many people tried the local co-op back in the day. I can imagine having a blast playing this game together in a college dorm or high school basement, like my friends and I did with Mario Kart and GoldenEye in the years prior. Yeah, uh, that's that's Diablo likes for you. Mm-hmm. That shitty loot thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I reference mm. this a whole lot, but I remember a very distinct memory of me like turning against loot yeah. as an idea was uh, watching Will play Fallout 4 mm. and there being a lighthouse where there's a glowing ghoul that they use as, instead of a light but, up at the top. And I'm like, that's a really cool set piece. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's awesome. What was up there? And he just like shrugged and was like, leveled loot. And then just kept playing. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that's everything that's wrong with this shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, Borderlands can suck my dick. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> Don't do that, video games. Stop. And now every video game does it and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, authored loot is always better yeah so agreed always put authored loot there you know and just you kind of have to be in a very particular you know i have to be in a particular mood to be fine being hooked up to that fine sell by you know yeah (laughs) basically just re-gifting yourself a bunch of stuff you know it's fine every Mm -hmm. once in a while right um but yeah like i think that Baldur's gate is specifically you know the dark dark alliance one specifically is kind of this weird little bridge between like the arcade the arcade and n64 gauntlet games and like Mm -hmm. the ultimate alliances and stuff that would come later um you know and then ultimately all of it would be uh designed like a casino as they bring in consultants to make sure that you uh, uh like these games forever 
the maximum tappa. Yeah. The um the thing with um the Ultimate Alliance and X-Men Legends games and stuff that came around is that they would decrease the emphasis on loot. No. Like you'd still find belts and shit yeah. in X-Men Alliance, but they they made uh the your character builds more complicated mm-hmm. and you're building for a team. Yeah. You know, so they, they added interest on that way. Not that I'm not saying it's like super deep, mm-hmm. but they added interest on that metric rather than the loot metric. And no. I think I'm always the same thing with like Diablo. Like the reason why I still, you know, if I had to choose, I would say I like Diablo too, even though I think like Torchlight obviates it. But the reason why I like those games at all is because of the character build stuff. Yeah. Uh, loot, I think, is dumb. Yes. So. Yeah. And that's all the responses. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. If you have uh, anything to say about January's games, which are The Return of the Obra Dinn, Enter the Gungeon, or Vice City, uh, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact by January 15th. Yes. And if you have things to say about uh, February's games, uh, same place, duckfeed.tv slash contact um, by February the 15th. And we're going to announce what those games are now. Yeah. Uh, so we're keeping the roguelike mm-hmm. uh, train going. With Monster Train. Yeah. Not intentional, but that is the train that's going. This is the roguelike I'm not, uh, you know, don't have a PhD in. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike Under the Gungeon, so this is new to me, but it's something that's been on my list forever. I'm really excited. Yeah. It'll um, be fun to do a deck, deck builder. builder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like mm-hmm. a deck builder tower defense kind of hybrid, hmm. or like strategy hybrid. I'm really excited. Yeah. Have like lanes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after that. After that, we are, we doing... are doing... The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That classic game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand the second one is the game of the year. The, mm-hmm. the, the man on television told me. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. The Last of Us uh, uh, Part 1. I, you know, I enjoy that game. It's, you know, there's, yeah. there's plenty to recommend it. I like it too. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if I still like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just William is the person who sponsored uh, Monster, uh, Monster Train. What's that? Um, William. Oh, William. Hi. Uh, just uh, giving credit to the, the sponsor of that. The Last of Us is just something we chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our premium episode for that month uh, is sponsored by uh, Fenrir Yana, and that is The Outer Wilds. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not The Outer Worlds. Uh, this is not the uh, the New Vegas alike. This is the uh, Mist in a Time Loop game that I have uh, wanted to play forever, but have known we would eventually do here. So Yeah. Yeah. It, what's interesting is that apparently this has some Oberdin DNA. Mm-hmm. So February, February uh, and January have it's some like real parallels. They're going to mirror it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not intentional, but we'll take it. Yep. Um, if you want to sponsor an episode, you do so at Patreon. As mm-hmm. we mentioned before, patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Really appreciate everyone who has done so. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of uh, cool stuff coming up. We so do. like March and a little bit of April are also uh, spoken for and that's neat stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, other things you can do if you cannot currently afford to uh, sponsor an episode, we understand, but uh, for substantially less, you can get extra episodes. You can get the full versions of our premium episodes of this show. Uh, you can get Bonfireside Chat. You can get Unfilmable, our show about horror mm-hmm. media. Um, you get access to all of that at $5 and you only get more when you go up to 10 Yeah. It's, uh, it's recommended. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just kind of, you know, finally, um, we're recording this before the holiday. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. come out on Christmas Eve, um, for our patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you celebrate Merry Christmas, if you do not stay safe, be happy. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you find some comfort and here's to a better year next year. Amen. Umbasa. Yeah, there are whichever one you observe. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm.